Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. You've definitely seen a video like this. It's phone footage of a man wearing a black jacket behind a Walgreens pharmacy checkout counter, and he's stuffing a shopping bag with everything he can pull off the shelves. The staff is helpless to do anything. The best they can do is call the police. This is the uh, store of 25-point logos. We have this person that is uh, taking everything from the counter. Customers are watching. One man shows his frustration, and then the thief confronts him. He throws bananas and boxes of cold medicine at the customer. And then the thief throws his bag over his shoulder and walks out the store. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Not only have you seen those videos on social media and on television, you left us messages saying you'd seen that kind of brazen shoplifting with your own eyes. I work with middle school students and high school students, and they all have told me that they shoplift regularly, and there doesn't seem to be a stigma attached to that. It's on their social media feeds. I currently work for a major retailer, and I can say for certain that the shoplifters have become increasingly brazen. They are filling up carts with high-end items. Some of them are even asking us for assistance and having conversations with us. And then they walk out right in front of us. They know that we cannot do anything to apprehend them. I also saw three boys come into Shaw's in Massachusetts and each grab a bag of rotisserie chicken and walk out. Um, Very nonchalant. When I have talked to any of the managers about the shoplifting I'm seeing, they don't seem to care very much. Well, those were On Point listeners Lega from Bridgeton, Maine, James in Golden, Colorado, and Julie in Bellevue, Washington. David Johnston, vice president of Asset Protection and Retail Operations for the National Retail Federation, says he's seeing it too across the stores he represents. I can tell you in my 35, six years of, of, of doing this, it's unprecedented and unmatched. Um, first and foremost, we're seeing the frequency of theft, the openness and the brazenness of the criminals, uh, the quantities and the type of merchandise that are stolen. Johnson says some of the seeming rise in shoplifting may be because of the onset of online marketplaces that make it easier for people to sell goods anonymously. But even as he says that the level of shoplifting we're seeing is unprecedented, he also says this. Well, we don't know exactly what the numbers are. We recognize that, you know, there is a need for adequate and accurate data. um, And it's challenging both the retailer and the law enforcement side. But even with this challenge of the data presently, it does not change the fact that, you know, you can see by going into your local location, this is a serious and growing issue for retailers. Now, anecdotally, there's been no question that there's a change in customers' experiences and the visibility of shoplifting now. 
But add to that the fact that retailers are also fearless in pointing to that seeming rise as the reason why they're closing stores in many, many neighborhoods. But has there truly been a huge spike in shoplifting? Are stores losing that much money from this one cause, whether it be organized shoplifting or individuals like the banana-hurling shoplifter from that video we played? Well, it turns out there's way more to this story than the viral content that makes it seem like this is a crime wave everywhere all the time. And that's what we're going to look at today. Kate Masters joins us. She's a reporter for Reuters, and she covers the retail business. Kate, welcome to On Point. Thanks so much for having me, Megna. Okay, so this has been going on for some time. I, I don't think I can spend a day without seeing at least several videos of some pretty open shoplifting here. So let's go back a little bit in time, because it was the National Retail Federation itself that uh, kind of made a big splash when a while ago when it published some uh, information, it said, that pointed as shop at, at shoplifting as like the reason why retailers are closing, in some cases, hundreds of stores. Take us back to that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the National Retail Federation, which is sort of the main lobbying group for retailers all over the country, started flagging this maybe a year or two ago. Um, But the splashiest moment probably came earlier this year when they released a report stating that half of all losses within retail could be linked to what they call organized retail crime, which is a term that you'll hear a lot and essentially refers to theft, um, you know, by anyone for the person purpose of reselling those goods rather than personal use. Now, since then, um, the NRF has actually retracted that figure and cited erroneous data, which sort of highlights the difficulty of really understanding to what extent shoplifting actually is rising when you drill down into those numbers. Okay, so they retracted that, said it was erroneous data. Did they replace it with any other new, fresher analysis about the impact of shoplifting on retailers? I think, you know, when you look at the retail industry and figures coming from it, usually what is most commonly cited are numbers coming from the National Retail Federation's National Retail Security Survey. It's a mouthful, but that's a survey, a different survey that they conduct every year, essentially asking retailers to assess what type of shrink they're seeing. Shrink is a term that refers to all losses um, for any cause, um, but what we're really looking at are overall shrink rates Um, which increased slightly from fiscal 21 to fiscal 2022, but are still in line with numbers from 2019 to 2020. So essentially, we're seeing that losses by retailers have mostly been in line with what we've been seeing pre-pandemic and the percentage of shrink that's attributed to external theft, including organized retail crime, has hovered around 36 to 39% um, since around 2015. So when you look at the data that's actually coming from the industry and that they're still continuing to cite, um, you know, it really seems like theft, uh, while it might have risen a little bit, um, is in line with what we've been seeing since before the pandemic. Mm, Okay, so I want to peel back the layers of what you just said a little bit, because this whole, are we having a shoplifting mega crime wave thing is based on numbers as we can best understand them. So first of all, shrink, as you said, is a simple way of defining it as like total losses, like um, uh, revenue losses that uh, retailers are 
experiencing, or is it defined specifically as something else? That's a great question. So when we look at shrink rates, it's typically referring to the percentage of inventory losses compared to the overall um, number or value of sales. Um, And shrink is a number that includes losses for any type. It could be a cashier who rings something up incorrectly at a register. Um, Some retailers calculate supply chain losses within their shrink estimates. So, you know, goods that may be, um, you know, go go missing Mm -hmm. as they're moving along the supply chain. Um, And I think it's important to really drill down on those numbers because you hear shrink a lot, but when it comes to the issue of retail crime, what we're really looking at is external theft, um, which again is around 36% of all shrink. Um, So all losses. All right. So hold on for a second. So (laughs) (laughs) no, no, this is really important, right? Because that's what we, you know, we strive to do here. We try to get smart reporters on like you to help us really understand what's going on uh, that may be hidden behind those viral videos. Okay, so let's put some actual numbers here. So shrink is overall inventory loss in comparison to what the value of the sales would have been, right? So let's let's say uh, a we have a company that says, well, we would have had $1,000 of sales based on the inventory that we started with. But we it sounds like if, let's say, how much is, is shrink on average, the all of it uh, for stores, including the shoplifting or crime? Mm. So when you look at the most recent figures from NRF, we find that shrink rate as a percentage of sales is about 1.6% based on the data that the NRF has reported. And that's equivalent to about $112.1 billion in total inventory losses for retailers. Wow. Okay. So I was going to say, say we have a company that's got... Uh, we'll make it an easier number to manage. A hundred dollars, right? In overall um, uh, inventory potential sales, this is like a Lilliputian company. So, a hundred dollars, and then its its shrink rate would be uh, what'd you say? Less than about two percent overall. Yep. Okay, so a little let, bit under two percent. So let's call it two. So out of the hundred dollars of total sales they could have had, two dollars were lost uh, from overall shrink, and then. From that $2, you said that it was, what, 36 to 39 percent could be due to external theft? You got it. Okay, so let's call it 40, just so I can do that math. Uh, So that's $2.2 times 4 is 0.8, right? So 80 cents is due to external crime. Um, yep, I think you did that math correctly, and that's <laughs> that is uh, the number that that is about uh, the number that the um, that is coming from the retail okay. industry. Yes. We, we did I tell you that we do live math here on on point? <laughs> I'm, I'm very impressed. Okay, so eighty cents out of what should have been a total of, in an ideal world, one hundred dollars worth of sales from the inventory they had, roughly, right? Roughly. Okay, so. That makes it seem overall that shrink, even in a normal year, due to theft, is very, very small. It does make it seem like it's very, very small. And here is where I think the issue gets challenging because we hear retailers, you know, as retail reporters, we hear retailers flag that shrink is getting worse, that they're seeing more impact on their employees, that there's more concern. But when you really drill down into the numbers, as you mentioned, shrink is a very small percentage of overall retail losses. 
Um, there is some data um, that has come from the think tank Council on Criminal Justice, though, that has suggested that the number of uh, shoplifting incidents associated with another crime has risen slightly um, from 2019 to 2021. So if you compare, you know, before the pandemic to mid-pandemic. Um, and so I think that's a lot where a lot of the concern is coming from this this idea that crimes are getting worse. Okay. So there's more to dig into to, uh, that in just a moment. But as you hear, we've got to take a break. So Catherine Masters joins us today. She's a reporter who covers retail for Reuters. And we're trying to really get a concrete understanding of the question whether has shoplifting has actually gotten worse in America. Is it costing stores more or if there's something else going on? So we'll keep going when we come back. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today we're trying to really get a handle on what the truth is, what the actual numbers are when it comes to the claim that there's been such a big rise in shoplifting, whether it be individual or organized shoplifting, that uh, major retailers are saying that's the reason why they have to close stores. And Kate Masters joins us. She's a reporter who covers retail for Reuters. And just to recap, Kate, the uh, the sort of the, the spreadsheet that you took us through, <laughs> that, that you, you started to take us through, basically the conclusion there, and just check me on this, is that the rate of shrink overall or um, uh, the value of inventory losses for for retailers hasn't changed all that much, and neither has the percentage of losses from uh, shoplifting as very simply defined from pre-pandemic to now. Is that kind of one of the conclusions that we can and should draw? Yes, I think that's that's right. Okay, but still, as you hinted, there's nevertheless a lot of um, sort of layers beneath that, which we'll get to. But I have to ask, you're in New York, and as listeners know, I'm in Boston. I'm going to say that just to be completely you know, transparent, I absolutely have seen shoplifting going on in stores that I, uh, I visit and, and frequent. And I, and I see it a lot, and it's just out in the open. And I don't recall seeing it as out in the open as I have in the past couple of years. I really don't. And I'm just wondering, being in New York, have you seen this with your own eyes or not? 
You know, that's a really interesting question. So, I mean, speaking personally and anecdotally, I actually have not seen shoplifting occur in stores while I've been shopping there. You know, but even if you're a shopper who hasn't seen that, I think that the signs and the worry is very visible. You see in more and more retailers, players like CVS, like Ulta, saying that they're installing more cases, they're locking up more inventory. And so that you know, is also a challenge. I think, you know, the numbers don't necessarily uh, show what's happening on the ground, but for a lot of shoppers, um, you know, it does seem like shoplifting is much more visible than it's been in the past. Right. And that's something I'd like to try to resolve over the course of this hour, because um, I was telling my my colleagues here at On Point this morning that I literally just this past weekend went to my local Target. It's one of the mini Targets, urban Target. And for the first time ever, I would say 60% of their goods are all of a sudden behind these giant new glass or plastic, I should say, locks. It was really stunning to walk into the store and see everything, practically everything except the apples in the back, be locked up. And it makes you feel like there is absolutely a crime wave going on just by seeing um, those things locked up. So we have to resolve uh, the the ample number of anecdotes that Americans have with the actual numbers, uh, as murky as they are. So I want to bring in Alex Picero into the conversation. He's a professor of criminology at the University of Miami and former director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics, and he's with us from Miami. Professor Picero, welcome. Hi, Magna. Great to be with you. Okay. So first of all, what's your qualitative judgment of the kinds of data that retailers and law enforcement are providing, uh, you know, is it is it adequate? Is it detailed enough? Is it trustworthy? So, how can we actually understand the extent of the problem of shoplifting? I hate to bring bad news uh, to this conversation, uh, but you can't measure what you can't see, and you can't measure what's not reported, and therein lies the problem. The problem is that not all thefts get reported to law enforcement. And not all individuals who are victimized by theft or shoplifting uh, report to, to law enforcement. And so there are a bunch of numbers out there, but the numbers are lacking because it doesn't have the sufficient detail that we need as criminologists, as media uh, personnel, as well as, you know, when we take our, our work hats off and we're just regular public people. Uh, the answer is we don't know what we don't know. So why is it, first of all, let's take those two sides and let's take the retailer side first. Why is it that they don't have greater clarity in their reporting? I mean, almost certainly they know more than they're saying. Sure. Uh, so not every single retailer in America fills out that survey. Uh-huh. So there's there's issue number one. All right. The second thing is not every retailer may not may report a theft to law enforcement. For example, they might deal with it informally. They might say to an employee or some kid who may have taken a small gift card, hey, don't do that again. Deal with it informally. And it never gets coded and it never gets reported. So therein lies the issue, right? If something happens and people don't bring it to the attention of law enforcement, then that event never gets counted. Got it. Okay. And then what about on the law enforcement side? Because we have to rely on local law enforcement and state and federal as well um, in terms of the different levels, I guess, that data gets added uh, and processed. Right. So remember, you have 18,000 law enforcement uh, departments in the United States of America, and they all report data to the FBI. Now, the FBI changed the way they were collecting uh, data uh, from what used to be called a summary reporting system, which was an old system built in the 30s and 40s, to something called NIBRS, the National Incident Base um, 
a reporting system, and that system is going to collect more information as more and more departments uh, start to submit to it. However, there's no separate retail theft category or separate organized theft category. There's just theft. And so you have to make sure everybody reports. And then as well, not every law enforcement uh, will will take some kid or some adult who's committed minor theft and actually do anything with that person. They could divert that individual. They may never you know, arrest that person. Moreover, there could be prosecutors who may not decide to prosecute individuals who commit theft under a certain dollar amount. So you have all of these you know, headwinds that are coming at the problem of theft that deals with, you know, we open up an Excel file and there's rows and columns. They may not all be populated there because of these reasons. Mm, Okay. In that case, um, why do you think that major retailers are pointing at shoplifting as not the, but one of the main reasons why is, you know, some of them are closing a lot of stores in neighborhoods across the country? Yeah, so it's it's a fair point. Uh, you know, we're inundated with with what we see on our social media threads that we choose to see, and then we're inundated with this when we watch our local news. And a lot of these acts are brazen, and they instill fear among people. And the last thing we want to do is instill fear among people. And so I, you know, from from the retailer's perspective, they need to control their inventory. They want people to want to work there, and they want to have people feel safe at their shopping uh, locales. So from their perspective, you know, I think that they need to be very mindful to not create this uh, panic among people, uh, and to bear in mind that you know, is theft increasing? Well, actually, you know, as Kate said, when you compare it to pre-pandemic levels, we're kind of already, you know, where we're at. Uh, in those cities where we can obtain data to answer those questions. Mm. Now, Kate, let me turn back to you because um, I just want to read a couple of things regarding Walgreens in particular. We reached out to several retailers. Most of them did not um, respond to our requests. But uh, Walgreens CEO um, uh, earlier this year actually in an earnings call in an earnings call this year, said that uh, to investors that maybe they, quote, cried too much when reporting rising shoplifting uh, in 2022. Um, And then in addition, Walgreens did send us a statement saying, quote, retail crime continues to be one of the top challenges facing our industry today. We are focused on the safety of our patients, customers and team members, and they have programs in place to reduce organized retail theft in our stores. They continue to focus on this organized retail theft piece, Kate. And that leaves out the individuals. And it also leaves out a category that I I failed to ask you about earlier, which is internal theft by Walgreens' own, you know, employees at whatever level. Why do you think they keep focusing on this organized retail theft piece? That's a really good question. And I think that when you look at retailers overall, even though theft might not be a huge part of their inventory losses, retail in general is um, a pretty low margin business. Retailers are very, very focused on trying to make profits in an industry, um, you know, where profits are lower than we see, um, you know, in other places. And so that's uh, a top point to keep in mind when we focus um, on organized retail crime, because this is sort of what retailers are flagging as what's new about the crime that we're seeing. When you talk to retailers, they tell us that while the numbers on shoplifting might not report a huge increase, what we're seeing is more and more people who, again, are stealing not to use the items personally, but to resell those goods. Um, And going back to what Alex said, the problem with that is that organized retail crime is not a reported theft type and is really only determined 
through investigation. And so at this point, we're sort of taking retailers' words for it because there's no concrete data on whether or not we are seeing a big wave of organized groups who are going um, and, and stealing items from stores. I mean, it certainly happens, but we just don't have the data to say conclusively whether that's really increased. Okay, so just to be clear, and Professor Picaro, let me go back to you. Um, so is organized retail theft or organized retail crime, um, Kate just said this more clearly, but it's not a reportable category? That's correct. So when retailers... <laughs> I wish I could... You know, go I wish ahead. I could be clear. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could be clear. They, you know, in the limited data that the FBI releases through the NIBRS uh, system, the majority of shoplifting incidents are actually committed by one or two people, not three, four, five, six, or seven. Now, what happens, as Kate said, when those individuals, or, you know, get together in some organized theft ring, and if that's busted, that's never a separate category. So if I wanted, to, if you wanted to know the answer is how many organized thefts have a, uh, rings have been occurring in the United States in the last twenty years, the answer is I don't know because it's not collected. Okay, so then, again, to point to Kate's what Kate said, when we, when we're taking retailers' word for it, not only are we taking their word for it, we don't even know what basis by which they're defining organized retail crime or where they're getting their information, uh, other than what they've decided to call organized retail crime. Professor, is that right? Yes, that's right. I would agree with Kate completely. Okay. I, th I think that's an important point to understand here because then when seeing what the statements are coming out of the retailers and the kind of coverage, the kind of media coverage this has been getting, are we, re are we saying here that like this may be um, a non-story that's been blown up into a story that's completely seized, um, you know, the eyes and ears of... Americans, Professor? You know, one of those uh, interesting adages uh, in, in our world, uh, Megan, uh, Megna, sorry, is uh, if you perceive a situation as real, it is real in its consequences. Mm -hmm. And so we have this issue of perception becomes reality, but we have no data to support either one of those. And so what we want to be very mindful of is we don't want to instill fear and panic among people. And sometimes that's what these videos do. And so we, you know, this is not a, this is not a, oh my gosh, let's sound all the sirens and, you know, put out the bat signal. I think this is a, a sign for, okay, let's see what we know. Let's get better data from the retailers. If in fact this is occurring, then the numbers should bear that out. Okay. So let me just lean a little bit more on your criminology expertise here. The videos exist, not just because the technology to capture the footage exists, but because the brazenness and the openness of, of a lot of these shoplifting acts um, or crimes are there. More people are actually seeing them, so they catch it on video. Now, whether or not that translates to percentage losses changing for the retailers, I'm not, like you said, I'm not sure that matters. What do you think accounts for it doesn't matter in terms of our customer experience um, and our belief in whether or not crime is getting worse in this country. What does it tell you about the openness and the, the brazen, brazen is the word that keeps coming up, uh, of the actual acts? Why do you think that's happening? I think people like a lot of attention, a lot of likes. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't mean to be crass or comical about it, but I think that's what people are doing. And, you know, a lot of people these days, 
um, you know, their world is social media. You know, we're probably old enough to remember when there wasn't that, that didn't exist. And so people had conversations and they had, you know, discussions around lunch tables and stuff. But now people live their lives in, in this virtual world and they want everybody to see them. And, it, and a lot of individuals get a lot of attention in that way. I think that this, this goes back to a more fundamental question is why are these individuals doing this in the first place? Yes, exactly. And why do they think, and why do they think they can get away with it? Um, basically with impunity. And it, it goes back to, you know, civility. It goes back to morality and it goes back to telling people, no, you can't go into a business and steal something that's not yours. Period. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, there are fundamental sort of moral lessons to be drawn here and maybe to return to heavily in, in this country. But I, I, I appreciate you clarifying because really the question I was going for is, are people doing this more openly because they are fearless regarding any consequence that might befall them because there are no consequences? Has there just been a genuine drop in policing um, that's allowing people to walk bravely into stores now, most, sometimes not even, you know, covering their faces and just filling bags with I don't know, razor blades and shampoo? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't think police are walking back or not doing their job. I mean, the men and women who protect this country, you know, lay their lives on the line every single day for us. And so I don't think that that's, you know, any reason to think that they are not doing their job. I think what you have is you have some places where um, certain kinds of thefts are not going to be prosecuted. And so that's a real issue. And so, you know, if that's not going to happen, then police should be spending their time on doing, you know, other things mm -hmm. that, you know, keeping people safe in terms of violent crime and, you know, dealing with gangs and, and drug distributions. Uh, but you do have this sense of brazenness. The fact that people don't have no problem at all smiling into a camera is pretty is pretty remarkable. But this this is a new world that a lot of us are living in and a lot of these people are living their lives in in these videos and for them it again the clicks and the likes and everything else is is a lot what they feed off of mm. well K kate let me turn back to you because you know about not being prosecuted there have been headlines and stories um like for example in new york where you are where uh a da's offices are saying well they're not going to prosecute shoplifting because they see it as a crime of poverty and not something that should be in the criminal justice system. What do you think? You know, it's an interesting question. I think that that is why retailers are really focused on the organized aspect of all of this, because there is a big difference between someone who's going into store into a store to steal something they need and an organized group that is focused on stealing items and then reselling them. Um, we don't know how much that is happening, but it is happening. And I think that retailers who are worried about their bottom lines are really focused on highlighting that and trying to stop that. And so in addition to all the sort of external security measures that we're all seeing, um, the glass cases, maybe security guards posted in stores, you also see this wave of retailers who are really hoping to quantify and figure out which shoplifters are repeat offenders so they can flag that to law enforcement and have it taken as a crime that's more serious than the the crime of need, um, you know, the shoplifting for personal use that, that we talked about previously. Mm -hmm. Well, just to be clear, the what I was quoting was a Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, who back in 2021, that's the quote where it, it came from during his uh, campaign, where he said he grew up with friends disappearing over charges like theft, meaning they were incarcerated. And then he said, I think we need to move away from prosecuting what I would call a crime of poverty. But there's like many categories here, right? We keep mentioning organized retail theft. Uh, 
there are some people who might be stealing things because they need them. But then there's also those individual acts that may become organized later when they sell those stolen goods online. Not sure about that. But the lack of data, as Professor Picaro has been telling us, is really at the heart of the problem here. But we've got a lot more to talk about regarding how to how to resolve what we're seeing, maybe in our own stores or online, and what the murky truth is about shoplifting in America. So more in a moment. This is On Point. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. This is On Point, I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and a little heads up for something that we are working on for the near future. In fact, it's going to happen in the new year. Our On Point money ladies are going to be back on the show. Due to popular demand, we're getting a lot of messages from you saying you need to hear from Rana Faruhar and Michelle Singletary. So we're bringing them back, and we want to know what you think about, about again, we're, we're, we're kind of in a perception versus reality theme here at the show, uh, because... Numbers say that the economy may be in pretty good shape. Unemployment's down, inflation is easing, but maybe you're just not feeling or even actually in reality experiencing that because just because inflation's cooling off doesn't mean prices are going down. So we want to know what your questions are or your stories for the money ladies about what you're, the economy you're living in versus those numbers that we're always reporting in the media about the national health and well-being of the economy. So record your story for us on the OnPoint Vox Pop app. If you don't have it already, go get your phone and look for OnPoint Vox Pop. Download that app. Or you can also call us at 617-353-0683. Now that's for the new year when the money ladies come back. Today we're talking about trying to get a really concrete understanding about the reality of shoplifting in this country. Is it really getting worse or not? What do the numbers say? Is it simply becoming more brazen? If so, why? And Kate Masters joins us. She's a reporter who covers retail for Reuters. And Alex Picaro is with us as well. He's a professor professor of criminology at the University of Miami. And Kate and Alex, I just want to um, let the voice of law enforcement here uh, a little bit because we spoke with Bill Scott. He's the chief of police for the San Francisco Police Department. In the last, you know, several years, or at least this year, we've seen We've seen a decrease, you know, compared to where we were this time last year. And of late, that decrease has been definitely more pronounced and more significant. In the in the last 
you know, three months, our, our overall larceny and theft is down 30 percent. So he's saying overall larceny and, and theft down 30 percent. But he also says that the year-to-year date shoplifting numbers were at 2,973 as of December 13th of this year. And that's a drop from 3,618 incidents last year and 3,263 in 2019, meaning pre-pandemic levels. So a drop of about mm, five, five, fifty, six hundred ish uh, incidents. Nevertheless, Chief Scott says that one component of retail crime does feel like it's growing in his city. And again, here it comes: organized retail crime. A lot of this is organized, particularly on the distribution side, but there is a, a significant organized component to this. So it's like day-to-day toiletries, toothpaste, you know, paper towels. I mean, it's, it's things like that, that that are driving a lot of what we're talking about. And we've arrested, you know, people on the fencing side of this organization, people who buy stolen property and sell it. Um, for instance, uh, last month we made an arrest and there was $17,000 worth of um, those types of items. Okay, we're going to come back to Chief Scott here in just a minute. But Professor Picaro, again, help us understand what um, the chief is saying there, because while overall incidents, as he said, are going down, he came back to this idea of organized retail crime. So can you just decipher um, what the chief said? Yeah, um, getting into his head, I think that, you know, remember, police and law enforcement agencies, they have an entire investigatory unit uh, within them. And so... When a crime occurs, they're going to dig into the details to see how people might be, um, you know, related to one another. It might be an idea of called social network analysis to see what criminals are working together, if they are working together, and then try to bust up those rings. Those kinds of things that may occur after the fact of the original event exactly. may never get captured, may never get captured because the only thing that's captured is the shoplifting incident. And so when you get on the FBI's website and you look at the crime categories, you don't see something that says organized retail mm. theft. Now, could that be added? Sure, they could add it and then would require all 18,000 police departments to then submit those to the nation. And that would be a good thing. And then we'll have a baseline to go forward with to, to look at these patterns over time. Yeah. So is it possible that when um, law enforcement refers to organized retail crime, that what they're really talking about is what the chief said there the, on the fencing side, right? About like, OK, so maybe individuals are pulling stuff out of stores, but then they're selling it to organ, uh, organizations that then go on and do whatever they do with the products. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it's very similar to what could be for a drug distribution. So one person sells drug to someone else and then they sell it to a, a larger mass of people. So that's organized in the sense of there's a, you know, person A does something to person B or a group C. In that sense, it's organized. Okay. But in terms of the individuals going into the stores, they may not be formally organized. All right. So let's go back to uh, San Francisco Police Chief Scott here. He says that while the department, he admits, the department lacks specific statistics um, about uh, shoplifting and um, and the level of organization. Um, they've been able to distinguish organized retail crimes through investigation, which is exactly what you just said, Professor Picaro. But as organized retail crime becomes a growing issue, as the San Francisco Police Department defines it, Chief Scott says he believes new resources will help the department turn the tide. The San Francisco Police Department just received a $15.3 million uh, organized retail theft grant. So that is going to be really helpful for us to get more equipment to deal with this issue, 
license plate reader, automated license plate readers, cameras. It pays for some of our personnel costs. It pays for uh, training. It pays for us to have the ability to have um, collaborative you know, seminars so we can work with other law enforcement agencies around our region and retailers. So we sit down at the table and, and craft out strategies to work on this together. So that type of support is really, really important. And, you know, we're fortunate to have it uh, here. And, you know, we hope we hope that um, not hope. I, I do believe that that will make a difference in moving us in the right direction. Now, Chief Scott says that as retail experiences, the modes of retail, oh, sorry, and as the modes of retail crime change, so like how we shop and the kinds of crime that are impacting retailers, the San Francisco Police Department has to change their policing strategies, too. And so far, he's confident that his department will be able to meet the needs. There are a lot of corporate policies now that are that are hands off in terms of aggressively arresting shoplifters or people that do these types of crimes. And so what we have learned that I think has been not I think it has been successful is to actually pay attention to that evolution and understand that we have to now work even closer with our retailers. So the operations that we do here where our officers with the permission of retailers are actually in the stores, uh, they're able to observe shoplifting crimes happen. And as soon as people cross, cross that threshold without paying for the merchandise that they have taken out of the store, we're right there to make arrests. And we've been, we've been very successful doing that over the last you know, year, year and a half. So that's Bill Scott. He's the chief of police for the San Francisco Police Department. Kate Masters, have there been other specific policy changes, whether it be in law enforcement departments that you've reported on or with retailers themselves? Mm, that's a great question. So I think what the chief was um, alluding to are, um, you know, in terms of policy changes is that as we've seen reports of shoplifting and video of videos of shoplifting get more brazen, a number of retailers have directed not just their regular employees, but even security guards not to confront or intervene in cases of shoplifting. Um, that obviously makes things uh, difficult. Um, you know, I've spoken to employees who say that they feel frustrated because they're not able um, really to, to do anything to counteract theft while they're working in stores. Retailers obviously don't want to run the risk of anyone getting hurt. But at the same time, there has been a lot of movement sort of on the back end to try and address these crimes. At least 34 states have passed laws um, that either define organized retail crimes and broaden potential pen penalties or establish task forces between retailers and the police to try to prevent that. And so I think that, um, you know, a lot of those efforts are actually things that shoppers aren't seeing. Um, there's more communication between retailers and law enforcement. There's new technologies that are being implemented, like license plate readers, like incident reporting software that is actually designed to capture incidents and try to connect shoplifters who are hitting up multiple stores in multiple different locations and so that the things they take can be 
you know, sort of um, added together and will amount to a greater crime um, rather than just simple shoplifting, if that makes sense. Mm. The effort is, if there is organized retail crime, we want to find who those repeat offenders are and try to make the case, you know, to the criminal justice system that these aren't people just dealing for personal use. They're people who are actually stealing large amounts of merchandise. Right. If they can gather the evidence to show that. Okay, point point well taken, Kate. Professor Picaro, I, I'm coming back to the original question that we started this show with, and I have to say I'm not quite sure that I, that maybe we've asked a question that can't be answered, right? Because Kate very clearly laid out like a lot of policy changes, laws in 34 states being changed. We heard from the the San Francisco Police Department chief there saying, "Well, yeah, we we got a big investment from the city in order to do a better uh, to improve how they police." shoplifting. So these are actual policy and changes and money being spent on a problem that we're we're simultaneously saying we don't actually have great data to see if to understand if shoplifting is actually worse. Again, how can we how can we is that a conflict? How can we resolve that? It's not necessarily a conflict. I think what what some departments around the United States do collect detailed data on shoplifting. Got it. So in those departments where they are implementing certain policy changes or whether a mayor or, or a city council or county commission decides to implement some change, then they can do some analyses to compare what was happening prior to the implementation of some policy and then after. Uh, recognizing that there might be a lot of other factors also going on at the exact same time that could be affecting crime rates uh, for specific kinds of crimes. So I think it, that's the kind of information that uh, local law enforcement agencies need to start collecting to then assess whether or not this infusion of multi-million dollars and associated strategies with retailers and police departments are actually working. Well, we heard from, uh, again, listeners in preparation for this hour because uh, the amount that people have seen, undoubtedly that's gone up. For example, here's Lauren, who called us from Los Angeles. She owns two stores, one in West Hollywood, another in Manhattan Beach, California. And according to her as a business owner, she says it's obvious there's been an increase in shoplifting. We have a fine jewelry store in Manhattan Beach that's been hit twice with millions of inventory stolen, smash and grab. Someone drove the second time, someone drove through their, their front window in a very organized fashion. Here in Los Angeles, we see uh, grocery stores closing, um, Walgreens closing, Safeways closing because they can't sustain the, the shoplifting losses. So I don't see how anyone could say there hasn't been an increase, but that's just my experience. That's On Point listener Lauren in Los Angeles. Now, Kate, I just want to take a tiny detour for a minute or two to talk about um, other reasons why retailers are suffering, according to them, enough losses that that does require them to close stores. Because what else is contributing to, um, let's say, a reduction in, in revenue? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, over the past year, we've really been um, in an environment where it's not quite a recession, obviously, but we have consumers who are feeling the impact of increased inflation, who are feeling the impact of the Fed's um, rate hikes. And so in all of 2023, we've heard retailers like Walmart, like Target, like Lululemon, you know, say that they're seeing consumers um, spending less, being more careful about 
about where they're putting their dollars. And this is obviously a big change from what we were seeing during the pandemic where shoppers were stuck at home and everyone was buying lots and lots of merchandise. So in a way, the retail, envir- the retail environment is normalizing, but for retailers, um, they're reporting results to shareholders that aren't as strong as they were two years ago. Um, and now the pandemic also sped up the rate at which people are using e-commerce. And so we also see many more people who are opting to buy things online rather than in stores. And so as a result, retailers with lots of locations are finding that some are less profitable and are shutting those down. Um, I spoke with one source who works um, on the NRF's National um, Security Survey, and he said that while theft is rarely the primary reason that a retailer will close a store, if a store is high in theft and that store is also not be not as profitable, then that will contribute to the decision to close down a location. I get it. Okay, so it may be the thing that pushes that site over into the one that gets shut down. All right. Now, Professor Picaro just, just got a, a minute or so, a minute or two left, actually less than that. <laughs> um, but I, wa- <laughs> I, want, I wanted to, um, you know, thinking about, you said there's some departments, some law enforcement departments that maybe are tracking things more closely or getting more reliable data sets on, uh, on shoplifting. SFPD sounds like it might be one of those. But in those cases where things are clearer in terms of, let's say, an an uptick, not just in brazenness, but in actual losses due to shoplifting, do you have some, just quickly, some ideas on what policies have been proven to be, you know, effective versus ineffective for theft prevention? Yeah, the kinds of things uh, that are effective for theft prevention are also the kinds of things that are effective for lots of other crime prevention. And and these are multi-pronged strategies. It's not just a policing strategy, right? There are also non-policing efforts that have to be combined with policing resources. But if we're going to focus on policing, we know that several things that police do and they do really well matter. For example, patrolling hot spots or hot corners or hot stores or sections of town. They're focusing their resources in particular places and then find out what the underlying problem is at that location or a group of individuals or some individuals that are frequenting a particular store. Also, the important point of this is keep them random. So think about when we were back in in college, if there's no TA in 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 a 100-person classroom, then people might look at their their colleague and say, hey, what's 44? What's 44? Is it B or C? But if there's one TA, two TAs, three TAs, and they're now randomly moving around, then that creates a threat of detection. Ah, okay. Well, Alex Picaro, he's a professor of criminology at the University of Miami and former director of the Bureau of Justice Statistics. Professor Picaro, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be with you all. And Kate Masters, reporter who covers retail for Reuters with us from New York. Kate, it was great to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. 